Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I feel like it's another ass comment, but Jason Jason just called you on your bluff and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Aldwin. We have a great show for you. <laughs> Sorry, I've always wanted to like tee up an episode where we run down everything we're going to talk about and tell people how amazing it's going to be, but usually we just jump right into it. I don't think that there's a better way to do it than this week because there's a shit ton of things to cover. It's, it's giving me mild anxiety. Yes, and I think... That's one of the topics we're going to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, we try not to take a week off. Sometimes we need a bit of a reprieve. We decided last week we needed um, just to decompress a little bit and have a little think-think on what it is we would like to do and how we would like to progress the show. And I think that proved to be valuable for us. And um, yeah, we're just looking forward to continuing what we do and hopefully getting some player interviews going and all that stuff. Yeah, our pause last week, I will say that when I posted on IG that Jason and I were taking a break, the immediate feeling was guilt. And it's so funny how talking about this with you really for the first time um, translate so perfectly into the very first topic that we're going to cover. But just before we head off into that, yeah, I think it's important that you and I did have that meeting last week to kind of refocus and re-energize ourselves and get us motivated to kind of continue. And we just wanted to say thank you to all of those people that direct messaged us on IG and were so grateful for what we do. I mean, honestly, Jason and I really don't reflect on that very often, but we are so thankful that you guys are enjoying because that in part is the reason why we do it. Yeah. And the gin that we were able to have <laughs> while we discussed what we were going to do and, and getting all those messages while we were sipping from that beautiful glass of yours. Rydell, sponsor us. Rydell. Rydell. <laughs> Rydell, sponsor of the Ready Play Tennis podcast. I am envisioning it in our future. Okay. Um, what we didn't envision for Naomi was that she was going to be heckled on the court in her, it was her second round match, technically her, well, no, she she's not seated. So it was her second round match. Mm -hmm. After all that she's been through, you would expect that the audience, wherever she plays, would be more knowledgeable what about what she's going through personally. I mean, we covered this on so many episodes and are so desperately wanting for her to play up to her fullest potential, but she's clearly dealing or continuing to deal with, I mean, as if dealing with mental health issues stops at a certain point. I mean, it's continuous for her that people that watch her would be better behaved. Yeah. Apparently, as we know, there's a history of this kind of behavior in the desert of California. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was, I I didn't watch the match, didn't sort of see what happened, but saw the highlights afterwards. And obviously, 
what was so weird about it was just the persistence because you know this woman yells out from the crowd naomi you suck which Mm. you know perhaps once you'd be able to brush it off but apparently as um who was the her opponent uh kudamatova kudamatova i get von drusva kudamatova i get them all mixed up (laughs) Um, yeah all there's so many ovas um so she was sort of bouncing, getting ready to serve, you know, hopping up and down because um, she had just broken Naomi and obviously wanted to keep her energy going. And this woman just kept doing it. She did it like one or two more times. And that's when Naomi went up to the umpire's chair, asked her to be kicked out, um, you know, if there's something to be done about it. Um, and I think at a certain point during the match, she also asked the umpire if she could take the microphone and say something to the crowd yeah taking uh control and taking it in her own hands i mean for naomi where do i start with this analysis of naomi i am actually really glad that we started off today's show with this story only because i myself has start have started therapy as many of you know, my father passed in January, and I thought it was a good idea for me to talk to a professional about all, I don't like to call them issues, but just things that are going on in my life. And the thing that really was illuminated for me by the entire Naomi Osaka experience and her history of mental health on and off the court is that you really do not understand what a person is going through and what triggers could exist for a person. And all of these people out there, the media particularly, um, fans that clearly do not know how to behave at tennis tournaments, just are so not knowledgeable of what even a small comment like you suck can do to a player. She's clearly on the largest stage, one of the largest stages, one of the largest tournaments, and clearly has been vulnerable enough to play, although she's continuing to deal with her mental health issues. And we just have to remind ourselves that she's not invincible. You know, she's not there for our fodder. She's not there to be our prey, not there to be heckled and to be made fun of. She's not perfect and she's not made out of you know, titanium. Mm -hmm. So it was really sad and unfortunate. The last thing that I will share is that you could clearly see how it affected her. She was crying in between points, wiping away tears. And it really is just so unfortunate that we've, that we have allowed ourselves to get to this place where, um, a player who has who is as revered and potentially could be one of the best players in the history of the sport um, bows out because of a comment like that. It's mm-hmm. just really sad. Yeah, yeah. To be broken in the first game and then suddenly to to have that. I you know I reflected on what happened to her at the U.S. Open as part of all of this. Like that was you know, the biggest stage at the time for her and to have that experience with Serena where, you know, obviously 
many people in the audience wanted her to win. They hadn't really gotten to know Naomi yet. She was the upstart, the the player who, you know, wanted to win her first slam and everyone's still wanting Serena to win her 24th, which, you know, she was vying for and has three or four other times since then. To go through that experience was traumatic for her to be heckled and jeered and booed as you're about to hold the trophy. Um, certainly that experience, I think, um, came to bear, I think, on this experience, which, you know, might seem innocuous um, to be told that you suck um, mm. when you're down one love at the beginning of a match. But um, yeah, I think your point is well taken in terms of what she's been going through in the last year. Uh, started with her withdrawal from um, the French Open and, you know, pre that tournament stating that she didn't want to talk to the media and she mm-hmm. wanted sort of some provisions for that. So she's definitely on a journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, like you, she has is, is taking up therapy because there is value in that and she can definitely afford it. <laughs> so <laughs> She does not have to call her insurance provider, which I have to do every week. <laughs> right. um, what does this cost? Am I, gonna, I need to submit my receipts to make sure I get my money back. Um, but yeah, um, you know, joking aside about being able to afford therapy, it's uh, value for a lot of people. And I think hopefully she's somebody who can benefit from that um i presume she's she's taking that up for sure and Mm. we all need her back on the court we all do we need her to be at her best self i mean that's what my therapist tells me and uh, no i'm serious (laughs) you just like literally spat your wine everywhere it sounds cheesy but you know therapy has been so helpful for me that I am such an advocate for it now. And I will speak for myself when I say I was hard on Naomi when she wanted to take a mental health break, but then immediately found herself on the cover of Vogue and, you know, accruing all of these, um, um, what do you call them, sponsorships from magazines and um, labels and brands. It didn't seem to align with having to take time off. But, you know, again, in my journey of therapy, every everyone is just so complex there are so many layers that it's so easy for us to point a finger and identify and say oh well you should really be doing this but i've recognized that you know my journey is unique unto me i'm not living this journey out on the largest stage in in the tennis world and so that must be immensely magnified for her so i have the utmost respect and um just desire for her to get better and for these freaking foolish people to like really just she they she should have been ejected i don't know whether she actually was but she really should have been yeah i think the umpire said that they weren't able to locate whoever was heckling but if if there was another outburst they would remove them and i think generally at tournaments they try to do a good job of of removing people i remember being at the rogers cup now national bank open in 2014 or 2015 one of the years where the men were in toronto and i recall um the last match of the evening session was a match with thomas burdick Mm. and somebody else and a similar thing happened Mm. somebody said you suck burdick or something like that 
uh, people started booing the fan who who did that, and he was located and immediately removed. So, as she should have been good for good for that umpire. Yeah. Speaking of mental health, there was some questions around the departure during the match <laughs> <laughs> of um, Amanda Anisimova, and we love an Anisimova moment. Absolutely. And it was it was just very abrupt. I was I was watching the match, um, and she was you know kind of dominating in the in towards the latter end uh, parts of the match had three match points and then kind of fell apart a few things that i want to say about this anisimova fernandez matchup first of all it's really difficult ultimately we're always going to choose layla layla is our girl she's a canadian girl she's been on our show we like to be loyal so we love and support her to the end wherever that end may be um, but we also, like you said, love an Amanda Anisimova moment. I have gone on record in saying she can, she wears mes- waterproof mascara on the court like no one else, maybe not since <laughs> Yelena Yankovic. So I wonder who her mascara a sponsorship is with. And um, okay, I was going to say something, but I, I don't want to tease and lead people on. But anyway, um, yeah, it was really, it was really bizarre and strange. The second thing that I wanted to say was, are we really surprised that Layla Fernandez made a Rafael Nadal comeback like that? She, <laughs> she loves her some three set matches. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> she loves it. I think she, yeah, she's she's becoming known as a fighter and a comeback queen. <laughs> she um, does not like to make things easy for herself. That's for sure. <laughs> But she definitely does like to work herself into a match and strategize and figure out how to just get that upper edge in the last set. And she didn't have to play. <laughs> she didn't have to play a last set no. against Amanda because at the end of the second set, what did she win that tiebreak at? Seven love. Let's just think about that for one hot second, Kay. You and I have had epic battles before. I do remember a couple of times where I've been up, you've come back, gone to a tie break, and you can just feel the adrenaline like leaving you. Like all of that lead and energy that you had in the beginning of the set, it's just gone. And Jason has wiped me off the floor in the tie break, seven love, just because you're just either not mentally in it, into it anymore. Jason's playing like he's on fire. Layla clearly was in that God mode and Amanda was just like, well, okay, what happened when she said that she wanted to default or she wanted to... <laughs> you know, I, I actually didn't see it. I think you you kind of explained that, you know, the umpire was a little bit perplexed about why, um, <laughs> why she wanted to because it was so sudden and she was, you know, obviously in the match and, and fighting up until, you know, the tiebreak when she lost at 7-Love, but it seemed very sudden. Yeah, she went up to the umpire. I this is an umpire that everyone knows and she said, "Listen, I I can't do this anymore. I can't play anymore." And the umpire's like, "Oh, this is really really sudden. Let me just call the ref." And she's like, "Sorry, girl, got to go." Like, <laughs> I don't know. A deuce. She's like, "I don't know whether I whether she had her bag, but she I she might as well have had her bag because she was like blazing off the court." Now, to make the connection to your segue about mental health, people assume that you know, when you're up 
that by that much, you have three match points on your racket. I mean, it's different to have, you know, a 40-30 match point than it is to have a 40-love match point because, like, you could relax on the 40-love match point a little bit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But she had a 40-love, three match points, blew all of them, and people were saying that she just was like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Mentally, I'm just not in it. But... We do have some insider information and like loyal um, podcasters. We do not like to reveal our inside sources. (laughs) (laughs) But we did hear from this inside source that the reason why Amanda wanted to peace out so quickly was because she was sick, as sick as a dog. And hence her 7-0 loss in that tie break. And she just needed to peace out because... She didn't want to be sick on the court. Yeah. So she didn't want to do a was... she didn't want to do a Pete Sampras, <laughs> where he vomed. Yeah, vomed blue chunks. Like she she had to go. I think there was a moment like close to the end of that second set where she looked at her box and she's like, "I can't do this anymore." Or she was she had said something which, you know, it again at the time it led it, we were led to believe that maybe it was uh, a mental thing because she had lost several points in a row and she had blown the the three match points but um yeah i guess you know people try to fight through certain things in matches because they know if they get through this match they have a day off and then until their next match and maybe they'll be able to recover over those two days but um she you know peaced out yeah and to we again we love an amanda moment we love that she's playing and refocused. Right before the Indian Wells tournament, they had kind of a, you know, a pre-little warm-up, not a fish tournament called the Eisenhower Cup, which she ended up winning. So her game is on the up and up, and she just happened to be facing a player who has, has so much grit and determination, and she was feeling sick. So what are you going to do, unfortunately? Yeah. I don't know why. I, I feel like she's been around forever, but she's still so young. She's only 20 years old. I know. She's got, she's one of these women that can, you know, if she puts together a really hot 14 days, win a Grand Slam. And we're all here for like a, an Amanda comeback. Yeah. And mascara sponsorship. Speaking of comebacks, <laughs> we have to talk about one of the matches that I watched while I was away in Windsor. And it <laughs> yes. was uh, Ali Risk mm. and Mugu. Girl, you were active on that IG that day. <laughs> I just, I could not believe what was happening. Mugu wins nine games, like completely dominating. Allison can do nothing. <laughs> and then something happens. Uh, Allison is hitting winners. She can do nothing wrong. And Mugu is like spring balls everywhere. Right. That match to me covers the kind of Jekyll and Hyde of Garbini Muguruza. <laughs> Last year we talked about her issues uh, not playing up to her fullest potential, being really hot at the beginning of the season. We all pegged her to be the Australian Open champion. I've pegged her to be the champion in literally every single tournament <laughs> before Contavite got on fire. She took that crown. She took that crown. But yeah, she really can either be on absolute fire and smoke any opponent for nine games and then just 
lose her range completely. And remember how you and I were talking about how Mugu doesn't have a plan B. Right. And so if you're on, you're good. But if you're not, girl, <laughs> I don't know what you can do differently to kind of get yourself back in the game. And I think that was perfectly displayed against that match in that match against Risk. You can see it on her face. <laughs> like it reads all over her face. She's like a little bit scared, a little bit shocked, a little bit flummoxed, a little bit like needing a cuddle from <laughs> Conchita. <laughs> Conchita would like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she. It's true, but um, yeah, so you like she can't quite figure out what to do out there, and like you know, she then gets in Stefanos's camp about wanting, <laughs> wanting, wanting coaching all the time. <laughs> I think she would love a coach, but like. You know, maybe, I don't know, hit, hit, do like a bit of Bianca, hit a loopy ball, hit, hit a drop shot, hit like a short slice, hit like, show some variety in those ground strokes and, and, you know, not just pummel on both sides. A hundred percent agreed. We have to remember that Mugu has won, had won her two slams, I believe. She won Wimbledon and she won the French Open. Back in the era, and I can't believe I'm calling it an era because it felt it doesn't feel that long ago, where you had players like Sharapova and Serena. I mean, Serena is still active, but let's be honest, she hasn't played in such a long time. Where she was going toe to toe with girls that were hitting hard, and the game has evolved since then. And she's now coming up against players that have way more variety. And she's and the truth is is that her game just doesn't stack up if it's not on fire yeah not to say that no offense allison like you don't really have a multi-dimensional game but at the same time girl you were on fire at love three love six down yeah she won i think the next eight games so she won the second set six three she <laughs> uh mugu won one um game she broke back, I think, against Allison to go down uh, one two, but then mm. Allison won the next four games. In true WTA fashion, we joke about it all the time. What a WTA <laughs> scoreline that is! <laughs> it was, and I, you know, in her post match interview, she's like, you know, nothing was going right for me. I could do no wrong, so it was only gonna go up. But you know, who knew how far up it would go and how far down Mugu would go. Listen, in fairness, I am very much the Mugu player. Jason knows I really only have one game plan. <laughs> and that true. is to hit <laughs> I that is to hit two hands on both sides as hard as I fucking can and to find my opening. <laughs> Jason is the opposite, and that's why Jason does so well in tournaments because he's able to kind of scope things out. That bitch could be down love 6 love 5 and she looks just the same as if she was up six love, five love. So, you know, I think that there could be some lessons to be learned by Mugu if she went to visit Jason at a GLTA tournament. Just see how she turns it around. Yeah, but it's possible she might visit Jason at a GLTA tournament like in Detroit in 2018 when I was <laughs> up six love, one love against, um, what's his name from Chicago? and Stravko? Yes, and then I lost the second set 6-3 and lost the super tie break 
But that wasn't fair, because did you see his booty in those shorts? <laughs> I'm not distracted by those kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> lies. <laughs> tell me lies. Tell me. Okay, speaking of players who are on fire, you wanted to give kudos to Iga. She I is wanted, on fire. She is on fire. And, you know, not to toot my own fucking horn, but I feel like I've... I should really claim the title of Oracle of the ATP and WTA Tennis Tour because it seems like all of the things that I've been saying on our pod for the past six months have slowly come true. Do you not remember, Jason, last season when we were kind of um, so hard on Iga for focusing too much on her doubles? You and I were both saying, girl, listen, you won that French Open title. It's really nice that you are, you know, playing doubles with Bethy? Was it Bethy she was playing with? Bethy. And like just having girl time on court. But bitch, you are destined to be a multi-slam winner. What are you doing, hun? Mm-hmm. No offense to Bethy. I mean, Bethy's got her, she's got her, she's got her trophies. Let's not worry about adding <laughs> any more trophies to Bethy's mantle, okay? And she has listened. Since the beginning of the year when she went, was on fire in Brisbane and just continuing to up and up her game, she is back at the form that took her to that French Open title two years ago. So I have a lot of excitement for Iga. In fact, one of our IG followers messaged us and was like, girl, you guys have to talk about Iga. Iga is on fire. Did you see that forehand? I mean, everyone talks about her freaking forehand. <laughs> but truth be told, Iga is playing so aggressive and is so precise with that forehand and that mother frickin' wide serve just opening up the entire court. It's really beautiful to watch. So I'm excited to see her ascent back to the top. Yeah, and I think her backhand is underrated. I think people find her forehand to be more explosive, but she is very good off the backhand as well, the two-handed backhand. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, up until yesterday before <laughs> Annette lost... Um, she was my pick. Mm. I would say Iga's my my fave. All right, that's cute. I like it. Not <laughs> not um, not Maria not Zachary, who took out Kvitova six three six love. Okay, talk about another girl that we we're just like so hard on. Like, girl, get your <laughs> get yourself a therapist. Remember we said that. <laughs> well, she, I, yeah, yes, we did say that. We we're like because you keep getting yourself to the semifinals and and losing out in the in those semis. And, okay, question for you. When I posted the IG face-to-face, y'all know that on IG I like to do a little verses of the juiciest matches that are up for the day. I thought that people would just choose Kvitova hands down for that match. And I think it was pretty close, but what did you think Zachary's chances were, honestly, going up against Petra? I mean, I think Petra's been struggling a little bit. I wonder what's next for her. Her game is, is in a way similar to Mugu's in terms of dimensions. Um, (laughs) She's sort of all out on both sides. And yeah, she's, she's uh, getting a little older. Mm. (laughs) She's, you know, 32, I think 33. So yeah, Zachary is just a more physically imposing player. So I think she would, she would be my favorite in that matchup. Uh, Mm. But six, three, six love is pretty, crazy yeah i mean she asserted herself like um 
a really delicious spanakopita. <laughs> for, <laughs> that was the only Greek food I could think of. <laughs> um, <laughs> another player who's imposing herself is Simona. Did you watch the match with her and Coco? I watched the match with her and Coco. I watched the match with her and Kirstea. She has never lost. I believe this is a fact. She has never lost to a fellow Romanian in a WTA tour match. Wow, um, that is a, that I'm impressed. Uh, all of you listeners, you should be impressed that Alduin just brought that to you, to <laughs> to your ears. That's impressive. And I mean, Romania is no pushover when it comes to WTA tennis stars. Like you got Nicolescu, you have Cristea, you have obviously Halep. Um, I was going to say that she is the, um, what, what's the perfect metaphor for her? Someone that kind of, the sleeper in the draw. Mm-hmm. When really Simona Halep, who is one of the most accomplished women in the draw that is still remaining, should really have more attention on herself. But, you know, ever since she went back to Romania to recoup that injured knee, she hasn't really done a lot and gone deep in a lot of draws, even though we're all hoping for it. But, um, you know, our friend, uh, Efren, Team Gordito on IG, <laughs> number one Simona Halla fan, yeah. just absolutely obsessed. She's real happy. Yeah. They, I don't know what it is. I, you know, when I watch the WTA players, I think there's sometimes comparisons to the women's and the men's game, obviously. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on another topic. But I, I just find when I watched her and Coco, the power that they have on their ground strokes is like it's almost comparable to the men i think i was i was absolutely shocked at the uh, what would you call them at the uh, the miles per hour kilometers per hour of some of those forehand winners that came off Goff's racket yeah she can freaking hit that ball yeah i love that come on that she does too mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites um but yeah you know um simona's kind of like the elder stateswoman now she's 30 Mm. and uh we want her to do well we want her to continue to vie for titles and vie for slams and maybe have another moment like she did in that williams final at wimbledon that was amazing like perfect perfection master class master class of grass court tennis yeah i think she is deserving of at least one more slam yeah agreed okay the last woman that um we wanted to talk about was yelena your fave yelena yeah you wanted to um just have uh have answered whether she is (laughs) whether she's actually (laughs) sponsored by (laughs) nike or not I was like, who? <laughs> Yelena, who? Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so much you care you know, about her. In my therapy sessions, I have been called to have a little bit more of an understanding and acceptance of everyone's personal journeys, hearkening back to the beginning of this episode. <laughs> I do recognize how hard I've been on Yelena. I do recognize how mean I've been to Yelena. Is that going to end? Not today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think Um, I don't think it should until she becomes a better sports person with the handshake at the end of the match. Like it's it's not great. 
it's not great. She continuously like just shouts these annoying little things to her box. It's just very kind of nattery. I don't even know if that's a correct adjective, but she just gets under my skin. <laughs> Sorry, I made I a wish, face. <laughs> I wish all of you could have seen Jason's face right there. So, you know, just being shady queens that we are, one of our shadiest queens and listeners, Russell, also happens to be one of our good friends, messaged us on the on the IG and was like, girl, do you think that <laughs> do you think that Yelena's outfit, because she was wearing full Nike, just going back to what she was wearing in previous tournaments, you know, at one point she was wearing like a Nike visor and an Adidas top. Like, girl, what who's sponsoring you right now? <laughs> it's a mis- it was a mishmash. It was a mishmash. And honestly, if I were in her position, I would save myself a little bit of face and at least get a full outfit in the same brand. <laughs> Maybe she, <laughs> she was trying to show for both of them, I guess, <laughs> to renew <laughs> renew or get a new deal, I guess. Because she was previously ad- Adidas. Previously Adidas. She won her, champion, her French Open Championship in Adidas. I love that kit. It's so iconic. And, you know, the shadiness just came in wondering whether her current Nike outfit is, is it because she's been sponsored by Nike again? Lots of speculation. She's not wearing the same Nike kit that a lot of the other female players are wearing. So um, uh, Russell and I came to the conclusion that she went to the tennis outlet. uh, (laughs) Tennis warehouse. Tennis warehouse outlet out in the desert and was like, give me whatever you have on sale. (laughs) (laughs) do you have you know this size in one of the old nike kits and she's that's what she's wearing (laughs) she think the like the like two or three you know (laughs) um kits ago outfit (laughs) exactly from the tennis warehouse outlet store off the eye whatever highway in California. <laughs> she was like, uh, to her coach who she brought along with her, she was like, hey, do you have that coupon from the hotel that we stayed at? <laughs> so shady. And this segment has been sponsored by <laughs> where you can get 40% off at. <laughs> Sorry, we, we don't have, have. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have a sponsor yet, but clearly we're working on it. Okay, well, that wraps up our WTA coverage um you know typically we pick we try to pick like who's gonna (laughs) win i haven't sort of fed myself into the draw and where the quarters are going obviously the matchup tonight which uh is it it is tuesday between Mm. layla and who's layla playing tonight layla is playing i thought it was juicy so Layla is playing Bedosa. Bedosa. I'm mm. definitely in for that, in for uh, uh, that match. So I'm not going to pick a winner yet. Obviously, Bedosa is the defending champion. Um, Layla is playing, playing really well, but how much? How many more three-set matches can she play? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on, uh, I guess before we move on, what, are, what were your thoughts on um, Raducanu? Oof. Talk about um, mental journeys. Talk about Muguruza and her emotions showing all over her face. Maybe it's just me reading into it, but again, I wouldn't, it would not be right if I didn't share my full ideas and feelings about Emma, especially at this tournament. But I just also want to know what your take on her is. I feel that Emma is constantly showing on her on her face the need to prove 
that she deserved to win that U.S. Open championship. You know, she fought so hard against Stevens in that first round match. Um, and I forget who she ended up losing to in the second round match. Martich. 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 Yeah, Martich. And went to three sets, but I think there's just an unreasonable expectation that she should be winning and going deep so quickly. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not so unreasonable because when you look back at Bianca's progression, she kind of w- caught fire and did so well in her season that she ended up making the tour championships, obviously won the U.S. Open. So maybe there is that same level of expectation for someone like Emma. But I just think that there's so much pressure on her shoulders that she's that she's putting on herself that it's hard for her to perform well because the reason, truthfully, why she won the U.S. Open was because she was so free and hitting... Go ahead, girl. Go ahead. I don't need to say anything else. You said exactly what I was going to say. She played so freely in those uh, matches at the U.S. Open. You could see it. And now she is excited and elated to win a first-round match. So she definitely (laughs) has so much more pressure for herself and she Mm. needs to sort of figure that out and figure out in the same way that Madison Keys, you know, talked about at the Australian Open where she was not feeling so much pressure. Madison talked about like, you know, losing on the points and losing your ranking, sort of having ranking dips. And once she was able to release some of that, um, she was able to play more freely and that helped her at the Australian Open. And obviously I think it's helping her here because she's now into, I believe, the quarterfinals. So, Yeah, you know, my therapist would be angry at me for saying this, but I mean, Naomi should reach out to Emma and be like, hey girl, listen, I've done the Vogue covers, I've done the Allure covers, I needed to take a mental health break. Maybe you should kind of ease it on like the Chanel sponsorship situation. You know, if you want to really focus on tennis, maybe you should just really... Ooh, my therapist is going to get real mad for me, <laughs> at me for saying that. But listen, you want to become a champion. Maybe it's best to consider not having so many distractions. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Um, speaking of kits, oof, you wanted to talk about Rafa's amazing sort of deep blue and orange Indian Wells kit, which is obviously more important th- than the fact that he's having his the best start to his season ever at 17 and 0. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fashion girl at heart. Let me just say quickly to the Dodge, I've joined a gay dodgeball league for everyone. I miss that, it. Jason and I met. In at, in at the Gay Dodgeball League in 2015. To the Gay Dodgeball girl that I was chatting with it, chatting slash flirting with two Thursdays ago, who said, oh my God, you must really love Christmas because your nails are red and green. No, bitch, they're not. They're blue and orange. <laughs> and, they're, and the reason why I know that they're blue and orange is because they match exactly, thank you so much, Rafael, Rafael Nadal's Nike kit, which I think is fire. Let us know what you think. I think this is the best that he's looked looked in 
a kit since he wore those pink shorts and maroon top at the French Open a couple seasons ago. Yeah, it play it pays to be in the tier of players where everyone else gets sort of the three or four versions of your <laughs> seasonal kit for Nike, and you're the top player who gets you know the special treatment with the the deep blue and orange and like the matching sneakers and like the navy headband it's pretty badass it's so badass what do you i mean going back to the obvious um uh, to his obvious amazing start to his season are you surprised is this are you surprised that he's doing so well I would not have been surprised if he had lost that match to Corda based on, mm. you know, how much he's put out and how much effort. But, you know, he did his Nadal thing where he came back from 5-2 in the third <laughs> set uh, and won that match uh, miraculously. Uh, you know, watched some of those points, hit some amazing winners. It's just what he does. And now he's 17-0. Uh, I don't know who he, who he has in the round of uh, 16, but... He is obviously clearing a path for himself to focus on this tournament because he has withdrawn from Miami. Mm -hmm. So um, it's unfortunate for the Miami tournament because I think there's a few players who have already um, withdrawn. Obviously, Djokovic can't play. Barty's already announced that she's not playing. So um, he's obviously cleared the path for himself to really dig deep at Indian Wells. So mm -hmm. uh, he definitely is probably the one of the faves. He faces Servbot Apelka uh, okay. in the next round. That, that should be an interesting matchup. Can we just give some kudos to Sebi Korda? Let's go, for all of you new listeners, new discoverers of our podcast, <laughs> go, go back to our first season when we talked about Sebi Korda playing his idol, Rafael Nadal, at the French Open and how we laughed at him for wanting to take a photo with his idol after being trounced in three sets. I don't even think he won more than six games the entire match. And now turning his entire, that entire vibe around and almost taking the legend, the, you know, one of the arguable goats in tennis sport, in the tennis sport out, like what a, what a rebound that was for him. So kudos to him for that. Yeah. I think he said, uh, after the match, I was trying to win for my cat. <laughs> Remember his cat's named Rafa. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I am, I am here all week. <laughs> um, anything else on the men's side? Obviously, you know, I saw on mm. Instagram today, I thought it was a bit, I thought it was a bit weak for ATP memes, but <laughs> they had, it was like an image of um, Novak and Rafa and Roger, you know, sort of sitting together in suits and they were kind of laughing. Um, and it, above that, it was talking about... Um, the new big three and how all of those those dudes Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas are all out of Indian Wells in uh, early. Yeah, well, like wah wah. Yeah, we were bigging these three up. We're like, girl, y'all gonna take the new. You're like the new soldiers. You're gonna go deep in all of the draws. Mm, like, how underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. Do Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, you go. 
<laughs> no, you so, go. So Canadian. <laughs> um, I mean, of the three, um, Zverev goes out to Tommy Paul 7-6 in the third, making it a fashion moment. Tommy Paul looks really damn cute in that yellow New Balance kit. Like, girl, you work. Um <laughs> I mean, I, th- I guess we're going to talk about Zverev a little bit later in the show. Mm-hmm. But the person that I do want to talk about is not one of those big three. So, you know, if you want to go back to one of those later in the show, I think that's great. Kyrios, we're on this whole mental health theme. He's spoken openly about his um, struggles with depression, struggles with motivation in the sport, struggles with being taunted and come for <laughs> in part by listen not i guess in part by people like us right but we do it i think we do it in a kind of fun and kind of cheeky little way not at all being serious right only with only with yelena Ostapenko for me <laughs> and um he's having the a, a great tournament yeah he's lost 16 games in three matches winning all in straight sets i saw some of his match against elbonus and some against rude and I think there's something about him if he's able to sort of block everything else out and just focus on his game and what he does well, he can live up to what he says, which is he can beat anybody in the sport. So, uh, you know, he uh, dragged Casper a little bit um, <laughs> last year, as you recall, um, you know, hearkening back to our previous episodes. Um, Curious doesn't have respect for who only win on clay <laughs> if you know anything about nick he doesn't respect the dirt ballers very much at all uh and casper was one of those up until last summer so dragged him a little bit for winning his third clay court tournament in a row and they had a bit of a back and forth on the twitter <laughs> and uh nick got the last laugh last night he did. That's a big win for him. Casper is undoubtedly one of the most consistent players on the tour. When we talk about the big three and not making it deep into draws, Casper is a consistent finalist on the 250 level, <laughs> <laughs> level tournaments. So for him to beat such a consistent player is a big step in the right direction for him. So we're happy to see it, even though he called us albatrosses last year. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of play that you could see him, you know, he won in Acapulco before he won in Washington where he beat both Tsitsipas and Medvedev back in 2019. So like he can be a guy that can pull, you know, six or seven matches together this week. It'll have to be seven. And next up he has Yannick Sinner who another top player, but again, he can beat anyone if he's on his game. Yeah, we haven't, I haven't really focused so much of y- on Yannick. Neither have I, I haven't even, I haven't really focused myself a lot on um, Berrettini either. But there's still a lot of really good men left in the draw. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think it's kind of anyone's game at this point. So what's tournament. So, I mean, of the, the, the new big three who are all ousted, you know, Zverev has had his issues the last few weeks, and I we did say we were going to talk about that later. Um, and Daniil, obviously, he uh, became number one at a very interesting time um, with the war going on. So, you know, who knows what else, what else is going on for him uh, mentally. He doesn't do well on the court when he's losing, so that tends to not work out uh, well for him. But um, Gael pulled it out. 
just was dialed in the entire well not the entire time I want to say that it was his underhand serve in the second set that really turned it around for him. Did you see these underhand serves? I, I did not. How many underhand serves did he hit? I mean, there were two that were very critical, but the one that kind of kickstarted his comeback really got him dialed in for whatever reason. I mean, he hit this side spin underhand serve. Medvedev is, sta- is standing like eight feet behind the baseline tries his best even with his long russian legs to get to that side spin serve and just couldn't do anything with him with it and it really just turned the entire match around for him from that point forward gael was smoking four hands down the line so wide off the court as you know that daniel is capable of hitting that forehand out wide and he was just hitting winners from everywhere like he took those last two sets very convincingly and so you know i put it out to our ig followers and like were y'all surprised and you know one of our ig followers was like no when gael is in it and when gael is on fire just like allison risk in the last in the last two sets of that match he's untouchable Mm -hmm. so well hopefully he can continue to advance and what did you think of your ex steph losing to brooksby uh, whatever I'm like over her like I like uh, he uh, it's really tough to see someone that you used to love just he should have won that match against Brooksby he won that first set so convincingly but I believe it was Riley Opelka that said of anyone on the tour you don't want to play Jensen Brooksby he's got so many kind of tricks up his sleeve and is so consistent and can get the ball from any place on the court and he gave my ex so many problems with his just like wiry wily and being the backboard that he is (laughs) gets every ball back gets every ball back i know you hate oh my god like you're you okay side note guys this is gonna be jason season y'all just i'm gonna call it right now he's gonna be so modest about it but she's playing very well i only played her a couple times but i can feel it's her season so I Let's still just... gotta. I still got some work on that knee, so I can get to you. Get to that third ball you're making me run to. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Anything else about the men's draw? Do you have a pick? Uh, uh, okay. I'm gonna be. No, 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 no pick. No, no, I do. I do. Oh, okay. I do. We have to talk. Thirty seconds. Men's health, Spain. Cover model. Gotcha. He's still uh, in it? A girl. <laughs> she, when I tell you that she destroyed his countryman, RBA, in that match, it was like love and two or two and love. They have replayed this wide topspin serve from the ad court a billion times on the IG. It's a thing of beauty. This guy's playing insane, hitting shots that are just just not physically possible on the court. So I'm going to say and be bold and choose Carlos as the whole winner. And this is going to be his like, girl, I'm here. I'm, I'm playing with the big boys now. Big three what? What about big four? Nice. Are, is he in the same part of the draw as Rafa? Oh, I don't know about that. Because I know they've been warming up. 
Guys, we didn't prepare fully with our notes around the draw. We kind of just decided we're going to riff on a few of the highlights from the matches. But, um, yeah, I I think, you know, it would be cool to see Curios make, continue to make a deep run. That would be a nice story. Mm. And it would be nice to see Rafa win his fourth title. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Car- Carlos is my man. Okay, you're picking Carlos. <laughs> uh, well, we do, we do know Medvedev isn't going to win, and we know that he might not get to play in, at Wimbledon. Did you see the story? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, uh, th- courtesy of the CBC, our uh, state-run <laughs> media company, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, not to be confused with RT, Russian television, Um <laughs> So apparently, the UK government is um, in conversations with the All England Club about requiring Russian players to um, give assurances that they are not supporters of Vladimir Putin and his regime in order to be able to play at Wimbledon. I'm reading a quote from the British sports minister, Nigel Huddleston. Um, Absolutely nobody flying the flag for Russia should be allowed. Uh, Many of us would be willing and able to allow them uh, to compete as non-aligned, non-flag-bearing entities. But I think it needs to go beyond that. We need some potential assurances that they are not supporters of Vladimir Putin, and we are considering what requirements we may need to try and get some assurances along those lines. Um, And it sounds like uh, he he further is quoted as saying that they are in discussions with the All England Club about what that might look like. Mm. What do you think about all that? Oof. Uh, First of all, what a heavy and controversial topic. But, you know, Jason and I are not shy about talking about controversial topics on the show. I will say that my initial reaction is I don't I can't recall a time when a sports entity has required a player to reveal their political affiliation in order to participate at a tournament or a sporting event. I don't recall that happening. I like to think I'm fairly knowledgeable when it comes to things like that in the world of sports. And Frankly, I think it's quite dangerous because although I don't obviously condone Russia's actions against Ukraine, sport, and I've said this before on the show, the Olympics, sport, there is clearly some, there has clearly been some political situations in the past that have infiltrated the Olympics and um, sports like tennis. But when you require a player to reveal their political affiliations, I think it crosses a line. And at the end of the day, I mean, yes, what's happening in Ukraine is absolutely deplorable, but there are other travesties that are occurring around the world that are not gaining the same attraction and the same um, injustices that what's happening in Ukraine is going on. So are you going to require all the other players to do the same? I just don't think that it's I don't think that it's fair to ask a Russian player to assure the All England club that they're not supporters of Putin in order to play. Why should that be a requirement? 
So, you know, drag me for that. I just think that it's I just think that it's very dangerous. What kind of precedent does that sell does that um present for future situations? You mm-hmm. know? So, I don't know. I think it's very dangerous. I don't think that sh- they should be required. It kind of harkens back to your question that you asked me 2 weeks ago about whether Russian players should be um you know, should say something because of what's going on in their country against the Ukraine. And it's a tough question to answer, but I think this particular issue where, you know, you have to show that you're not a supporter of Putin in order to play is crossing the line. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it's hard for, you know, people to be asked to say something like that. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, issues and ramifications that have come out of this conflict that are are somewhat challenging. I mean, you know, there. I was listening to a show um, earlier this week, and there was a, supposed to be a, a, a performance by like this up and coming Russian pianist in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's somebody who has, you know, said, um, and, and was outspoken about the war um, in Ukraine. But um, there was calls to cancel his performance and his three performances that were to happen in Montreal were ultimately canceled. And there's, you know, uh, in the same way when, you know, there's um, there was the 9-11 attacks, people were, you know, wanting to quash Islamophobia mm. and all of those mm-hmm. things. But, you know, we, we should be doing the same thing against, you know, phobia against Russians. So we shouldn't be, you know, vandalizing Russian restaurants and all of these things that I hear that are happening in the media mm-hmm. um, that are resulting from this conflict because I think general um, folks who have come to Canada or have come to the U.S. are probably, um, you know, a- against the war and, and, you know, really have nothing to do with the, the overall conflict. So, yeah, I think the implications that were um, put in place around not being able to compete in team events like the Billie Jean Cup and the Davis Cup probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, players were banned from the Paralympics, so that was um, interesting. But yeah, I think it's hard to um, to force people to to make some sort of statement. Like, what's um, w- at what level? Like, what do you require of these people? Like, what is right. a, what is enough? Right, exactly. Like, what would be required for you to say, okay, you know what? I believe that you're not a supporter of Putin. What what is it just simply saying, hey, I'm not a supporter, right? Like, what kind of evidence would you require? And it is a very slippery slope when when if this does pass and it is required of Russian players, then what does that mean for every other international political um, situation going forward? What does that mean? Are you going to require other players that might be representing a country that has travesties against, you know, humanity to say that they're not supporters of that particular regime. It's just sport to me is supposed to be a safe space for all athletes and whether, and I mean, they should be able to play. That's my personal opinion, you know, and you and I have discussed this before, but like we are unfortunately in a climate where you must take a side and people will cancel you and ostracize you for not taking a clear side 
when sometimes issues, and I'm not saying this to be true of the Russia-Ukraine issue, but a lot of issues are so nuanced that, you know, we again, harken back to the whole topic of mental health. You cannot say that one issue is black and white. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's difficult to cancel someone because they have a particular belief and just completely like erase them from participation in a tournament. I think that is a very dangerous thing and it only causes more negativity, which is essentially what we don't want to do and don't want to promote. So I don't know on this particular issue. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's safe to say that sports and politics, there are sort of um, links that end up happening in the world. You know, we know that, um, the, the Cincinnati tournament in 2020 was stopped because people wanted to make a statement in support of Black Lives Matter. So these kinds of things um, do happen um, in sport. But yeah, I think, you know, in this particular instance, it's, it's, it is getting to a bit of a slippery slope. Like we've taken their flags away. They, they're sort of competing um, not for their country um, and and they I think have have come to accept that um, I believe that you know they're they're obviously going to be supportive of of the Ukrainian players when they see them on the court mm-hmm. um, but yeah it'll be interesting to see how this situation develops and what is this sort of assurance like what is what does that entail like signing a document like a, a yeah yeah, it's I mean, it's very strange. It listen, again, so many layers we could talk about that we can have an entire episode dedicated to this, but like, you know, one angle just to play devil's advocate is if you're playing for the Russian Tennis Federation, are you is that Russian Tennis Federation, do they have any links to the Putin regime? So if you're actively accepting funds and um, financial support that is directly linked to a regime that is willing to infiltrate a sovereign nation, then are you complicit? That's a very integral question to ask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are you knowledgeable about that? And if you are knowledgeable, are you willing to turn a blind eye and say, okay, you know what, you can pay for my trip to Indian Wells and for me to carry the Russian flag and for me to play. To play. So I guess, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, maybe there is a little bit of like an expectation of like, okay, well, we, want, we just want to make sure that you're not complicit in the current regime's wrongdoings. Again, layers, complexity, hard to answer. We're not a political podcast. Yeah. But, I mean, this is one of those situations where tennis and politics are intertwined. Yeah. For those of you who are listening to this on Wednesday and want to <laughs> message us on IG and let us know what you think, let us know what you think. If yeah. you think we're stupid, tell us we're stupid. <laughs> if you think we're right... Um, if you think it's nuanced and, you know, you see both sides, then tell us that too. Mm. Um, okay, we wanted to end the show by talking about our favorite ladies, the Williams sisters. They're all over red carpets these days because their mm. movie, King Richard, is nominated for all Dem Awards. And <laughs> I think we should probably see it and give like a formal review six months after it. Release. <laughs> we should. I mean, just to uh, just to come to our defense, 
we did watch the Rick Macy interview, who is the coach that was hired by Richard Williams because Richard Williams understood that he could only take the Williams sisters so far. And Rick Macy, I watched that interview, 45 minute long, about the accuracy of that movie. And he was saying that that movie is down to the last detail, super accurate from his perspective and how he was portrayed. So really, I, would, I am actually really intrigued to watch it. Cool. I'm going to watch it too. Um, well, let's talk about the red carpet moment. Um, and then we can talk about the Zverev comparison. <laughs> so yes. uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, there's a director named Jane I think it's Champion or Campion. Mm. She won an award for Best Director for this Netflix film called The Power of the Dog. I also want to watch that. And um, during her acceptance speech, she wanted to acknowledge Venus and Serena, but she didn't really do a good job. (laughs) So um, she said, uh, Serena and Venus, you are such marvels. However, you do not play against the guys what okay yeah why why does why does one need to say that she she herself is a female uh-huh i i'm just so curious what her intention was in making that comment you know it's important to get clarification on what people mean what i understand that to mean is that listen you guys are champions but you're champions on the women's tour and um if you were going to be playing against the men, maybe you wouldn't have that same championship status. So why she would decide to share that and say that to them boggles my mind because I don't understand what good could come out of that comment. Yeah, it doesn't ingratiate yourself to to want to you know, have a post post-award show uh, martini with the Williams sisters. I don't think... She, although I did see them pose together in a photo. So um, I think she probably went up to them, apologized, and um, they took a photo together. And Serena didn't look too pleased, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the fascinating part to me is that she is also speaking as a female director in a male-dominated industry. Yeah. Where, you know, who was it? Catherine Bigelow? was the first female woman was the first female to win for best director at the Oscars. So the fact that it came from her in that same industry is astonishing yeah. and I just don't see a purpose. Yeah, for women it. women tearing women down. Women tearing women down when, you know, there's been such an upswell of support and call for women uplifting each other and breaking through that glass ceiling. She did them Williams sisters and Ostapenko handshake. <laughs> the perfect tennis analogy. <laughs> I know. I wish the camera panned to the Williams sisters when she made that comment. Yeah. When I saw it, I, I, I remembered Serena Williams going on David Letterman and saying that she wouldn't have a chance against Andy Murray. So, you know, there is that comparison. But to you pointed out earlier, it's like, you know, I think she's in a way she's just being nice because of course she can take a, cu- a couple games and maybe a set off <laughs> of Andy um, mm-hmm. and and perhaps a lot of a lot of the players but she did say you know men's and women's tennis is is very much different but I think if anyone can compete against the men it's definitely Serena Williams. 
Yeah, I mean, I think an important point to make is that Serena saying that herself is revealing how she feels she would do against other men. But for a woman to do that to another woman, there's no way that you can look at that in a positive light. It's really meant to kind of belittle her and make her feel smaller. Right. Yeah. So I just I don't see the purpose in it and I don't see how that helps the women like feminist rights in any way. Well, so, her, her movie is called The Power of the Dog and now she's in the doghouse. She <laughs> definitely is in the doghouse for sure. Well, this is we this is another perfect segue because we're going to compare men to women again because Serena did um, an interview with Christian Amampur. I love that last name. I know it's so so good, sexy. Uh, from I think it was a CNN interviewer or, or um, another affiliate, uh, where she said um, that she would probably be put in jail. <laughs> and she, I did. I do think she used the word literally, um, if she had done what Zverev had done in Acapulco, which, if you recall. If you were under a rock for the latter month, part of February, Mm -hmm. he slammed his racket and dropped F-bombs in a doubles match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if you take this in context, though you preface this entire story by saying that she said literally, meaning to say that you think that she actually thinks that she would physically be put in jail (laughs) if she did the exact same thing that Zverev did. I think the point that she was trying to make was that her being black and her doing the exact same thing that Zverev would do, she would have come, they would have come down on her harder. Do I necessarily believe that? I mean, I do. I really do. And um, I mean, you going back to Zverev's kind of slap on the wrist for his behavior in Acapulco, he posted, or not he, when it was posted what his actual reprimand would be i had to read that twice because i could not believe that his behavior warranted him continuing to play Mm -hmm. so illuminate us so he is so on probation yeah so he is on a yeah i think it's like you know speaking of jail terms he's (laughs) on a, a a 12 month sort of probationary period where if he um behaves for those 12 months he will not have any further repercussions but if he has a similar outburst he will face a four-month suspension of play and i think many people including i read some stuff from mats vlander and uh, chris Everett, and i've listened to patrick McEnroe talk about it you know i listened to a couple of his episodes and he's like what the hell is going on atp when are you going to you know, uh, tell us what your decision in, is on Zverev. His behavior was, you know, incredibly inappropriate and blah, blah, blah. So I think mm-hmm. all of them felt like there should have been a more severe suspension or at least like repercussions in that he gets suspended from these two big tournaments, Indian Wells and Miami. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he got nothing. He got a $20,000 fine for verbal abuse, 20000 for unsportsmanlike conduct, did not get the ranking points, which, you know, he won one round. So what is that, like 50 points or something? Mm-hmm. And um, then lost the prize money for the tournament, which, you know, winning his first round match was probably like another $20,000. So really not much of a... Um, 
not much in the way of repercussions. Right. I mean, the question of this segment is, if Serena did the exact same thing, if she took her racket, played that doubles match at 2.30 a.m. in the morning, and <laughs> smashed that racket like no other right at the feet of that chair empire, would she literally be put in jail? <laughs> I mean, I, uh, who knows? Yeah. It's, hard to, it's hard to speculate. But I think that with her history of how she was treated at the U.S. Open, I mean, yes, she did say she wanted to kill that. <laughs> that <last laughs> person. Yeah. Let's not forget about that. <laughs> um, but she does have a history where her outbursts have come as a result of her being feeling like she's being treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that her saying that she would be literally put in jail comes out of nowhere. Um, Who knows? But I do feel that she has taken a lot of blows and a lot of hits, unfair ones, at the expense of tennis officials. Mm -hmm. So on on the other hand... I do feel like Zverev was... I mean, this guy constantly shows us his really poor behavior. So what does that mean for every other male tennis player that can engage in the same kind of thing? You yeah. know, listen, these fines... Fines... Sorry, I'm just going to say straight straight the F up. Fines are a stupid reprimand for players. They're not missing $20,000. No. I mean, I could use a good $20,000, <laughs> but these players don't care about $20,000. They care about participating at tournaments. So it's such a farce to me that, like, you know, putting out a statement that we're going to find Zero $25,000 for his behavior is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. Period. Point blank and to period. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the the term literally probably comes from the fact that she just feels like there would be more repercussions and people would drag her more. And mm. there is... There is um, you know, history of people coming for her and it, it is oftentimes related to the color of her skin. And yeah. Zverev, you know, can can get off because he's not a black woman. <laughs> Although maybe no. he would like to be at some point. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think we can agree that that behavior was ridiculous. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't even a singles match. <laughs> <laughs> I know. To the point of the Zverev pan- fan page that, you know, we asked to reshare our story. It was like, this was yesterday's news. <laughs> it was a doubles match. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that's it. We've gone an hour and 10 minutes. Ooh. Well, we told y'all it was going to be good and juicy. Yeah, and it was. And we're going to bring you all the results of Indian Wells and I guess, you know, start the kickoff to Miami next week. Yeah. Uh, just a friendly reminder, we do have some merch. <laughs> <laughs> I should get on a story. And uh, thank you to our new merch purchasers. Yeah. Thanks. Check out our Patreon if you want to support us there. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We're here for your tennis or your tentertainment or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.